It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. Monica, I was trying to think of exactly how and when we met. And usually my method for that, I don't know if you remember, but I don't recall. I, I remember like moments of seeing you off and on throughout the years in Los Angeles before you moved. And I went on my computer and I searched your name. And <laughs> one of the ways that I've been able to track people that I've known for many years is Back in the day, I, I had like notifications turned on so that anytime somebody followed me on Twitter, I'd get an email. And the cool thing about that is now I have all this history. And so you popped up a few times, I think as far back as 2009. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you had usernames with the word Betty in yes. them, like low impact Betty. But then did you initially have one that was moniker Betty? Yes. Okay, because that was the first one I found. <laughs> Last from the past. <laughs> yes, I know. That's part of uh, the fun. And it's something I'm excited to talk with you today is all the different phases you've been through with your career, which is something I can relate to a lot as well, because it's kind of like this process of reinventing. So I initially met you as moniker Betty and then shortly after low impact Betty. And then I found an email where you reminded me that we, I think, worked together on some articles for this website, Green Walla. Yes. Remember that? We did. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Wow. And then also, we used to go to the Women of the Green Generation events in Los Angeles. Remember those? Yes, I do. And that's what was flashing in my head just now when you were asking me when we met, I was like, I remember those. Yep. <laughs> and I remember reaching out to you when I started Bare Bones Body Care. Yes. And you so graciously reviewed those, were one of the first bloggers to review those products. Yeah. And that I found was back in 2013 when you emailed me. And I also remember you bringing them over to my place. I have like this detailed memory of you giving me the products for the first time. And Jason, did you ever try the Bare Bones Body Care? Yes, you have been instrumental, Whitney, throughout the nearly decade of knowing one another to turn me on to a lot of luxurious body care things. You've turned me on to like so many incredible brands. So yeah, actually, the first experience I ever had, Monica, with your products was via Whitney being the amazing connector that she is. And I remember it being very luxurious because I like to luxuriate. I'm a dude who loves to feel supple and well moisturized and like I'm taking <laughs> care of myself. So I would say luxurious, but also what I liked about Bare Bones is that, first of all, I want to make sure I get this right. Is the company still going without you running it or did you completely close it down, Monica? So it was in transition for a while because I, you know, having a product based business is tough. After five years of running it, I learned a lot and I loved the connections I made and making the products and doing what I did and was super proud of it. But realized that having a product-based business was not conducive with the lifestyle that I wanted. So I was transitioning to have another vegan body care company in LA 
um, start making some of the products so I could keep it going a little bit. But then COVID-19 hit. And so things have just kind of been in limbo. So there are hopes that it will still keep going. But right now is just kind of in it on a permanent pause at the moment. Well, I hope it comes back, although I'm really excited about what you're doing now from the business world with introversion and tapping into that niche of of introverted entrepreneurs. So we're going to talk a lot about that today, but I just wanted to say and give a shout out to Bare Bones because (laughs) it really is such a lovely company and it always felt like a, a small company and like almost like a a little punk rock or something. It had like an edge to it, but also felt very eco-friendly. You just were doing such something very creative and unique with that brand. And I'm so curious if any of the listeners have tried your products too. That would just be cool to bring it back, uh, a little throwback back there. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I definitely was going for the punk rock vibe. That's definitely like my history, you know, and, you know, I'm always thinking as a marketing person, what is the, you know, different lens or differentiator I can bring to, you know, these markets that I'm really interested in and want to um, contribute to. And that was one with that uh, is I was thinking there's so many great products, but they don't really speak to my style. And I think of a lot of other people's style. So I wanted to make a, you know, a like kind of a gender universal product that people could relate to that were super punk rock, but still wanted non-toxic, vegan, organic, luxurious <laughs> body care. Yes. And I think that that was such a great thing. And you're so considerate there because it's interesting, the vegan world and sustainability keeps evolving, but it certainly does often have like a feminine element of it. And so I think being considerate of different ways people express themselves and genders and sexuality and all those things are so important. And as we're learning right now in this time that we're recording it also like keeping in mind the racial side of it, because maybe it was a month ago, I got an email from somebody who was very concerned about cultural appropriation. And one of the points of their concern was that they felt like if we were kind of stealing from other cultures or not being mindful of how we interacted with other cultures, then we were actually doing the movement a disservice. Mm. And that really was a great thing to hear because we do need exclusivity. We want everybody to feel like they're being represented and heard and included with things. And and so it, it makes it more accessible and appealing to people. And yeah. I think that's also part of the brilliance with your work with introverts, and I myself am an introvert. I love what you're doing because sometimes I feel, and this comes up a lot on the podcast, is this like hustle culture mm. and the socializing. And and there's a lot of research about how extroverts are very rewarded. And so I think when it comes to business and entrepreneurship and creativity, there's, a, there's kind of this this underlying pressure to be extroverted. And for introverts, it's a lot about how we manage our energy. And so I at times feel like I can hustle and I at times enjoy socializing. But there are also a lot of times where I don't enjoy those things. But because of the pressure, I feel like I'm doing something wrong or I'm not doing enough. And that's actually something that comes up a lot during COVID. So I think this has been an interesting time for introverts because uh, since we're not socializing in person as much and we're we're kind of redefining our socializing, I think there's like more attention on introverts right now or more like appreciation. (laughs) And then likewise, then we have all these extroverts who are are kind of 
feeling like they're struggling because they're not getting the socializing that they crave so much. Jason, I don't know if you would, if you're, you've been feeling that way per se, because you identify as an extrovert for the most time, don't you, Jason? Yeah, this is an interesting conversation. I, I'm glad we're opening it up because I've noticed some peculiar and interesting things within myself. I have to this point definitely leaned heavier into the extroversion space. A lot of factors with that acting at a young age, my mom putting me on stage really, really young, and whatever hesitancies or fear I had with presenting publicly was pretty much non existent. You know, I just I was always comfortable with that kind of public forum. But spending all of this time indoors has been fascinating because I hadn't been around any substantive group of people until uh, this past Sunday when Whitney and myself and a group of friends and acquaintances went to the um, All Black Lives Matter and the LGBTQ Pride March here in LA. And it was phenomenal. I mean, the energy was incredible, the positivity, the love, the unity. I mean, it was real. But I observed myself feeling strange around that many people. Whereas in the past, mm. you know, going to concerts, going to festivals, presenting on stage to big groups, it's like, oh, I love this energy. But I found myself observing my energy in that tens of thousands of people marching down the streets of LA being like, it feels weird to be around this many people right now. Not bad, but just observed myself being like, I think I want to go home and have pizza now. Bye. Bye. So I think due to being indoors this much, there are some introverted aspects of me that are coming to the forefront. And it's interesting to watch those. I love that. And I feel like this is interesting to hear your perspective on Monica, because I know that you're spending a lot of time studying introverts. And I, one thing that I'm curious about is it's like the spectrum. It just because mm. you identify as an introvert doesn't mean that you're always acting or feeling introverted. For instance, there's like extroverted introverts. And then I feel like Jason, for the most part, is very extroverted. But as he's saying, he has introverted tendencies. And so it's fascinating to me, just like all the different ways that we can relate to those terms. And sometimes it's like, why should I even put a label on it? I personally like letting people know that I'm introverted and then explaining what that means. For instance, letting them know it's not that I'm shy. I'm certainly not shy, but it's more about the energy side of it. So I suppose I'm, I'm curious, like, how do you define introverts? What drew you to doing this work? And then what have you been learning about the differences between extroverts and introverts in general and also during COVID-19? Oh, yeah. There's so much to unpack the dichotomy of introversion and extroversion. And like you said, the spectrum that is very real. And even I'm in a course right now, which I'm very excited about and could not speak on yet because I just started it, looking at the cognitive functions of Carl Jung's work and all those functions underlying the, you know, the Myers-Briggs test and the deeper part of it where you're, I'm looking at I'm an extroverted thinker versus an intuitive or an introverted feeler and an, an, an introverted intuitive. So we all have this spectrum within us. I think very extrovertedly, but I feel very introvertedly. And it's funny that spectrum you were talking about because people, it's funny now are like, uh, I never thought you were an introvert. And I have to explain to them, like you said, Whitney, like it doesn't really have to do with the fact that I'm outgoing or that I can be outgoing um, or that I can speak in front of a large amount of people. It's the energy that's drained for me 
when I'm speaking, you know, to large, when I'm speaking with small groups of people or large groups of people or speaking about things that aren't as in depth or aren't as, um, just not as beneath the surface that I'd like it to be. So it's this kind of education around that and knowing that we all have those moments of introversion and extroversion. And I found that in growing up in my life, there were so many negative reinforcements around my introversion. And like Jason was saying, you know, he was brought out of anything that could be a version of introversion by his mom putting him in acting and and doing these extroverted, innately extroverted things. And for me, my mom even tried to do that. And I still was just continuously rebellious. So my introversion couldn't break through in those moments to the point where I was so shy as a kid that they even held me back in school and said I was, you know, socially immature. So these, a lot of negative reinforcements through my life of how my shyness and subsequently my introversion was going to hold me back and was holding me back and that I couldn't succeed because, you know, the social norm is that extroverts succeed. So when I came to this, when I, so marketing, just for background, marketing is something that I've done my entire career. I went to school for marketing and even in the background of having environmental blogs and doing bare bones, I marketed it myself. I I did the branding with my friend and was very involved in that process. So marketing is something that I've always been really into and really passionate about. And so when I got to about 10 years into my career, I was thinking, wow, I've been working for these nonprofits. I've been marketing my own business. Um, I've been doing all these causes. And although I love them, I actually love the marketing part of it. And so I was like, how can I start something that'll be a form of self-expression that I can enjoy, that has a lens that is different for people? Like, What struggles, what challenges have I had in my career that I'd love to help address for other people? Introversion came to mind almost immediately because of all the ways people had told me I was doing things wrong. But when I looked back and looked at where I was then, I realized that I was still successful and was still doing things well and was still getting clients and was still being referred and was still able to do all the things that they had told me I couldn't do. I love the name of your website right now. And I assume if you consider it a brand, Unsocially Inclined. Yes, that yeah, and that, that is my brand. Yeah, where did that come from? I mean, I, I imagine it, to me, I'm like, okay, something to do with introversion, but it's it's a term I don't think I've ever heard before. Is it part of the definition of being an introvert, or is it something that you made up? Like, what's the story behind that? <laughs> yeah, so I definitely made it up. That's something I made up. I had, wow. Yeah, I love <laughs> that's so creative. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like that's something Jason would say to describe himself sometimes. I'm unsocially inclined, right, Jason? I think there are definitely moods I get into where that would be an apt description. And I am looking forward to finding out exactly what it means. So, Monica, indulge. Yes. Okay. So, you know, I thought of this and I'm such a, you know, a marketer and love branding. So I was I thought of this idea. And at that point, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to make, I'm just going to start this Instagram, have it be a form of self expression and the challenges that I've seen as an introvert in a very innately extroverted profession like marketing, but just in a world that, like you said, Whitney, really um, rewards extroversion over introversion and see if anyone else relates to it. So as a marketing person, I really wanted to make it some sort of brand so it was recognizable. And so I was just thinking, and what I do when I name things is I I just write a bunch of you know adjectives and nouns and verbs, and I just start writing things that have to do with the topic. So I just kept writing things out, kept writing things out. And I was thinking about 
my journey with this and how I used to be really shy. And even now, even though I'm not so shy in social situations, and to clarify, I was shy. I don't have social anxiety. So I don't, I think a lot of people make that misconception with introverts, like introverts are socially anxious by nature, but that is actually not true. So I was very shy. And really, I looked up the definition between socially anxious and shy just because I was curious. And shy was basically like, you're not interested in talking to people. And that was how I was most of my life basically through early college days. I just was not interested. I liked being alone. I liked reading. I liked being really introspective. And so I was like, I'm not social. I'm kind of unsocial. And then I just thought about like, but I can be social. So how? what can I create that'll make it seem like, you know, I am unsocially inclined, but if I really am passionate about something and I want to make something happen... I can push myself and I can get out of my comfort zone to make that happen because it's what I really want. And that's what I really wanted to build this brand around is that, you know, these societal pressures that introverts have to be someone we're not, putting yourself out there or getting out of your shell seems negative when someone's trying to push us in a way that we didn't really want to go in the first place. But if we're pushing ourselves in a way that we're really passionate about to build a business that we are passionate about the offer we're giving someone to help them with their problem or just the life we get to live because we're building this business and the community we get to create, then we can put ourselves out there and we can get out of our shell in our own way, kind of you know, reclaiming those terms as our own. I'm curious what specific type of situations or circumstances, Monica, then have you been presented with just off the top of your dome where you were like, all right, I'm going to get uncomfortable. I'm going to stretch myself and put myself in a situation that is making me stretch and making me feel like, oh, okay, but payoff or the the learning lesson or the experience was worth that level of discomfort. Can you tell me just a few situations like for you that you've experienced oh, like yeah, that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I had one even this morning, actually. I'm in a business mastermind and I got on a call And my business coach, I guess, had a few people lined up to present from our group. And I, as far as I knew, wasn't one of them. And then she asked me, hey, could you say a few things about copywriting? You know, just do like a five to 10 minute talk off just off the cuff. Internally, I was freaking out. (laughs) I was not prepared. And I, you know, didn't come into that call thinking I was going to have to be the center of attention and have all eyes on me, which is something that I definitely is not in my comfort zone. But I thought about it. And I was thinking, this is what I do. I love copywriting. I know it helps people when I give them tips. I know the 15 other women here can benefit from my knowledge. So I'm just going to be okay with maybe stumbling and get some stuff out there that they can use. And it went super well. And everyone was super grateful. So it's even those little moments that I can push myself through. So, and even, you know, just helping people is one benefit of that. But also now there's 15 women that know I'm knowledgeable in the copywriting space and can refer me to people that need that help. So it's even those small examples that can really drive your business forward and create a community that's really supportive of you. Absolutely. That it's funny you bring that up because that reminds me of something that happened a few days ago. Jason and I were both on a panel. And just to show like the difference between us, I don't know if this is like an introvert versus extrovert. I bet you it's partially that, but also like other elements of our personalities. I feel like one of the ways that I handle my introversion is to feel prepared. So similar, like you're saying, Monica, 
I do fine in an environment where someone asks me to do something on the spot. But like you said, it's incredibly uncomfortable because I like to process information as much as possible before I do anything, whether it's something that I say or an action that I take or a social media post. I just like to kind of like, for lack of a better term, just process it, right? And Jason, again, I don't know if this is an extrovert or just another personality trait, but he's more like off the cuff. He thrives in that environment. He seems fairly comfortable with it. And he also doesn't seem like someone who likes to prepare as much as I do. And so when we were on this panel the other day, I had spent weeks preparing (laughs) for this like simple little panel that we did. And Jason, meanwhile, is telling me, he's like, I just made all this shit up. Like this is completely <laughs> off the cuff. <laughs> Do you think that's a quality of introversion versus extroversion or just like a coincidence that we're, we have those elements that are different about us? I don't think it's a coincidence at all. And of course, it's like generalizing to say that's all introverts and extroverts. And it's definitely not. But from what I can see and what I've experienced having introverted clients and having the membership for introverted solopreneurs there is a information overload and like analysis paralysis and a need to be super prepared that introverts do carry, I think, safely to say more than extroverts. And sadly, I think it's like, sometimes it seems to just simply stem down to a confidence thing. And when I think about that, I think about all the negative reinforcement that almost everyone I come across that's an introvert has gotten in their life about how they're doing things is wrong and how they're approaching them is wrong. And then that confidence just starts to dwindle over time as it does. And so it's like, I need to be prepared because I don't want to seem incompetent. I don't want people to see weakness because I already feel weak because I'm quiet or I have to process too long, which makes me seem like I'm not as competent because I have to think a little more instead of really valuing that we need to have that introspection before we want to respond instead of react because for us that makes us able to create a better answer to you know add to the conversation in, in a more fruitful way yeah and it is so true it it certainly does feel like a confidence thing and i also think your point about it being like right or wrong good or bad And even though I work really hard not to judge myself in those ways, it still comes up and it might just be old thought patterns I'm still working through. But I wonder too, with that said, because a lot of this is based on conditioning. It's the conditioning of our upbringing, our parents or parent figures and our education system and, and just these different experiences. I wonder... And maybe you've done some research on this, Monica. Is it like that we're born as introvert or extrovert or do we learn it? Is it a nature versus nurture thing? So from what I've seen, it's definitely the temperament is a nature thing. And then, you know, how we evolve in it over time, I think, is a nurture thing. And another to Jason's question earlier, another situation where I kind of pushed through that it was about money. Like I was shy my entire life, like to the point where people who I went to high school with when they see me now, they're like, who are you? (laughs) Because I talk so much comparatively to then. And when I was in high school, I was about 16. I was working as a host at a restaurant. And I saw that the servers made a lot more money. And I knew that serving tables meant that I had to talk to a lot of strangers. (laughs) And I was not super pleased with that. But the, the idea of kind of pushing my opportunities farther and being able to get farther in life by making a little more money, I was like, okay, I'm going to get through this. 
I can nurture my way through this shyness by giving myself some sort of goal to get through it and knowing, you know, the first couple of times I went up and honestly, I served tables for 15 years of my life. And there's not one time I didn't go up to a table nervous about speaking to a stranger, but not (laughs) not once, but I saw that it gave me the life I wanted. Like, honestly, there was a a part in time in LA where I was just doing freelance marketing, but really I was working 20, 25 hours a week at a diner in Echo Park called The Bright Spot. And I worked there for seven years. And Wait, you worked at The Bright Spot? Yeah, for seven years. Then, wow, that's a trip. (laughs) Continue. I saw the life that it gave me. Like I was able to work, uh, you know, half the full-time week and have the other half of the week to go hiking and play basketball like I love to do and just read and hang out with my close-knit group of friends. So I was able to sort of, you know, nurture myself out of the limiting beliefs and the blocks I had at being more social so I could actually build the life that I wanted. And I think that's the jump that a lot of introverts need to make to see that just those little that those little discomforts that aren't like I said that are discomfort is always continuous, but those discomforts that actually speak to what you want to build and progress you to that life, that that's what you can do. And you don't have to be uncomfortable just because people are telling you to be uncomfortable and that you should put yourself out there, but you can do it on your own terms. Hold up. I need to dive into a seemingly innocuous part of that amazing response, Monica. You're a hooper? I'm a hooper. Yes. (laughs) You're a hooper. Yeah. yeah. My whole life. I played in college. I still play today. I love it. Whoa. Okay. So I played in- What is that? She's a basketball player. Oh, okay. (laughs) We have to sidetrack it because that's my game. I played in elementary school. I played middle school. I played in high school. I've been a basketball fan my my entire life. So so you still play to this day. So when you go out, COVID Mm -hmm. aside, you know, is it more of like a solo thing where you're shooting jump shots, working on drills, just having fun? Or are you going like looking for a pickup game? Like what is your style of hooping? Oh, yeah. I mean, I will do all of the above. I will go just shoot. I look for pickup games in LA for the last, you know, three or four years I lived there. I played in leagues, co-ed leagues. Like it's, it's my jam. And it's my favorite thing to do. It's honestly the only thing that I can say. I'm getting better at meditating, you guys, but it's the only thing that clears my head <laughs> so far. Where I am not in a place of anxiety, I'm not in a place of overthinking, I'm just playing and flowing. And it is something that I can honestly say really built my confidence, even as an, especially as an introvert, and really taught me that I could lead in a way that is different. I had teammates that were very loud and were like, you know, those players on the team that were like screaming and super hyped, which I love because it gets me hyped inside. But I was, you know, given captain of the basketball team and started as a freshman on my high school basketball team because I led as exam- as an example, I wasn't loud. And so even then I was being shown, even though I didn't realize till later, that I could do my thing and still be super successful at what I wanted to do. And basketball, yeah, it's just, it's my life. I live and breathe basketball. I love it so much. Wow. Okay. We're having a bonding moment. <laughs> Whitney, I hope you give a little, a little bit of space for this because you know Whitney's probably like, all right, they're going to go into a basketball thing, but I feel I <laughs> but must. I also want to hear about the restaurant that you got really excited about, Jason. <laughs> all right. For back up. I knew this was going to get tangential. I welcome it. Yes. <laughs> Bright Spot. Bright Spot was one of the first places I ate at when I moved to LA in 2005. So when you said Bright Spot, it literally was one of the first places when I drove my Honda Prelude from Detroit full of stuff and drove cross country to LA. 
bright spot was like one of the first three or four places. I had two friends who had already moved from Detroit, so they were here. And we were hanging out in Silver Lake. They're like, you want to get something, something to eat? And they took me to Bright Spot. I'm like, what is this old school diner? So I think that was that was like September of 05 was the first time I went to Bright Spot. Oh, amazing. And I had a similar experience when I moved to LA from at that point, Dallas, Texas. I'm from Oakland, California, but I moved to Texas around the end of elementary school. And I had just graduated college, moved to LA in 2008. And I had gone there as one of my first places to eat there. And I loved it so much. And I transferred from Texas to a restaurant called Mimi's Cafe, which is like the opposite of like is the uncool to the bright spot cool. (laughs) It's like a really corporate restaurant. And I was like, I have to work here. And I started work there working there, I think in 2009 or 2010 until um, yeah, 2009 to 2016. I worked at the bright spot. Damn. Yeah, that's dope. That's dope. Okay, I want to touch on something really quick about leadership style, because you talked about that in the context of captaining your basketball team and being a much more reserved figure. You know, if I think about basketball, of course, Michael Jordan celebrated, LeBron celebrated, you know, these larger than life externalized personalities. But the kind of leadership you're talking about, which to go back to the point is perhaps not as celebrated, is somebody like a Tim Duncan on the San Antonio Spurs Mm -hmm. or uh, right now Kawhi Leonard. Mm -hmm. Like that dude is known as the Terminator because that dude is stone faced when he's on the court. Yes. Last year, when he hit the game winner over the Philadelphia in, in the uh, in the semis, like he finally ever was like, oh, my God, he showed emotion. But I think it's cool that you had this leadership opportunity in the context of a team sport where you got to be you and still have that resolve and that leadership, but also do it your way. And it, for some reason, those two players just came to mind as like they're leading by example and they have they. Like they're killers, but they're quiet about it. Yes. Yes. Silent killers. I love that. Tim Duncan's amazing. My favorite basketball player when I started playing when I was nine years old was uh, David Robinson, the other twin tower. That's right. Also a quiet guy. And absolutely that leadership style. I was able to thrive and people gave me the opportunity to thrive. I was giving a kind of like an example in another podcast that I was recording how I don't celebrate my wins all that well. And I thought about basketball because I'm a three-point shooter. That's what I do. My nickname in high school was Monica Shershot Schrock. Like, I hit the threes. That's what I do. And if anyone... (laughs) (laughs) And if I'm confident about anything, it's about like, if we play horse or we're playing and you leave me wide open on on the three, like, you're going to regret it. Like, that, I am confident all day about that. So I was thinking, I was like, well, in basketball, when you hit a three, you don't celebrate. Like, just like Kawhi and like, it's like, you do this all the time. Like, this is normal. That was the message. Like, don't celebrate it when you, because it's supposed to be like a normal thing. And so when I think about my wins now in like business or anything, like I don't stop to celebrate it. And I'm like, wait, this is a little different than that. Like, I, you know, I'm the sure shot truck in basketball. Like, yeah, I do this all the time, whatever. But I'm like, these are milestones that I needed to celebrate. So I was like, it's so interesting that I just was like, no, this is what I do. It's cool. Instead of stopping to celebrate those wins. And it was just a really funny parallel. Gosh, I feel like with all this nerding out that the two of you are doing, like Jason's probably really bummed that you don't live in LA anymore. And similar to what happened, we did an episode a few weeks ago with our friend Sunny and she lives in Portland. Love Sunny. Do you live in Oregon as well, Monica? I live in Vancouver, Washington, but it is the city directly north of Oregon, right over the border. So yeah, I definitely hang with Sunny. Okay. That's for sure. I feel like we've also had Paul Jarvis on the show and he's up closer to you. And I feel like every time we talk to someone in the Pacific Northwest, Jason's like really eager to move up there and you That's might right. have just sealed the deal with all this 
basketball talk. Friend. I got a basketball friend to go see Blazers games with now. Uh. Jason, Portland <laughs> is the basketball town. <laughs> The no, listen, I know about Rip City. Yeah. I From those battles back in the day, like the Blazers had some dope teams. And I love that it's the only major professional sport in that city, right? Y'all, yeah. Portland doesn't have a, a, it's that's it. So it's no wonder people are crazy about basketball. Also, because Dame Lillard is amazing and you guys got mellow now. And like, yep. I love the Blazers. Blazers are a great team. But the Pacific Northwest, I feel like I'm unofficially collecting friends and allies without even living there yet. <laughs> like I'm stacking my deck. It just feels like life that's just happening right now. So I love that. And yeah, I mean, it's definitely they have the Portland Timbers, which is a soccer team, but and who is they're very popular here. But yeah, as far as the like big sports, just basketball. And I have to say, I can't if you follow me on Instagram, you know, I talk about basketball all the time. I have a basketball planter back here. I just I love it so much. It's such a huge part of my life. And it's a part of my life that gave me the comp. It really gave me the confidence that I have in being a marketer and a copywriter and really reminding myself that I can do what I do in my way because I did it my whole life and my favorite thing to do. And although I'm not a professional basketball player now, I got pretty far and it paid for most of my college and I'm proud of that. And I still get to play. I'm happy to have like a healthy body so I can still play. But it's just, it was such a confidence booster. And I think especially as a female, I think um, there's a, a real difference, I think, between like male sports and female sports as far as like what it does for our confidence on the female side is just like being able to feel that badass energy and and be super independent and be um, get that like teamwork and that willpower and that determination that team sports really bring. Well, you could get super niche with your work, Monica, and like support like introverted basketball loving uh, vegans, sustainable entrepreneurs, <laughs> like something like that, like yeah. <laughs> combining all your passions in one. And you know what? Maybe Jason's a perfect example of someone that would fit. Well, no, he's not technically an introvert, but he, Jason would probably pretend he's an introvert just to work with you if that's like your how you uh, assessed out who you're going to work with. <laughs> I would read that copy, that sales copy and be like, <laughs> Do you, do you dream of secretly hitting the game-winning shot? <laughs> do you get fatigued when you are at a party and have to make small talk with people too much? Nailing do it. you like pets and vegan Salisbury steak? Well, then I have the program for you. I'm like, I do like all those things. I do like <laughs> vegan Salisbury steak. Yes, I do. Oh, that's amazing. And this actually kind of came up in our episode with Dotsie, who's uh, an introverted vegan Olympian athlete. So, wow. you know, maybe it's athlete. Maybe you work with introverts, introverted athletes or so. I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. Like you got to combine your passions, Monica. I'm loving this <laughs> niching down. And I have to say about half my membership of uh, introverts are vegan vegetarians. So I think I'm already wow. halfway there, uh, which is amazing. I wonder if there's any sort of correlation with that. Because I feel like there, a lot of vegans I meet are a, a bit socially awkward. Wouldn't you say, Jason? Or a bit um, business owners, especially, mm-hmm. I feel like I've met a lot of vegan entrepreneurs that may not be the best at uh, navigating social interactions. Yeah, I, I think it's a mixed bag. I think it may come down to like, if I may, a person's ambient level of emotional sensitivity. And I think that mm. I would go out on a limb without seeing any official data or research about this, that one who is gravitating toward a more ethical, compassionate lifestyle probably has an ambient level of not only awareness about the issues and compassion for animals in the environment, but a sensitivity to it. And 
perhaps because of that higher latent emotional sensitivity, people might be more withdrawn or reserved in interactions because of that sensitivity. That's a possibility. Again, no research to back it up. I'm a highly sensitive emotional person. Mm -hmm. I always have been. In human interaction, I'm always very, very aware of the energy that's being exchanged with the conversation. So that could be I it. Think, and it also could be a loner where mm-hmm. there's actually a, an article I came across recently that Princeton researchers found that loners, which are individuals who are out of sync with the coordinated majority, <laughs> actually serve as evolutionary insurance plans that ensure the species survive. And I thought it was so fascinating to dig into like the role that loners play. And I feel like there is some sort of a a similarity, like introverts sometimes feel very alone or they're, they're the odd ones as we were talking about, like extroverts are so rewarded. And while it might not be true that we're alone, I don't know what the percentages for the population is in terms of how many people are introverted versus extroverted. You probably know that, Monica. <laughs> I do. So they say it's 30 to 50%. And I think that's because a lot of people are hesitant or don't know that they are introverts, that it's even, they even say 30% because people, now that it's become more, I feel like introversion is so popular now. It's like so hot right now. Like a buzzword. Yeah. <laughs> so hot right now. And people are realizing, oh, I do have those tendencies. And I think it's brought up more that it's, there is a, there really a spectrum. Like I said, I think I, I would say I'm more of an outgoing introvert and in that I don't get nervous in social situations. And so people might be like, well, I don't get that you're an introvert, but really I get drained by that energy really quickly and need to recover and need that recharge time. But also that rebellion, like you were saying, I have, my program is a quiet rebel is my marketing mentoring program. And I have a free Facebook group called Quiet Rebel Society because I think it is that that group that is rebelling against that societal norm and being like, no, we could do it this way. And I think that's what I loved about my role on basketball teams and even my role in business is that I was always underestimated and was always kind of people would call me their secret weapon. Because if you saw me on a basketball court, you would not think that I was very good. Because I'm just, <laughs> yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm not short. I'm five, six, so I could hold my own. But I, I was always like kind of skinny and, and I didn't look super fast. I didn't look super mean. I just was always underestimated. And coaches loved that I could just come out and like nail five threes in the first quarter and really catch people off guard. And I love catching people off guard when they underestimate me because I'm quiet or because, you know, I, yeah, well, mostly because I'm not the loudest in the room or not trying to make my ideas known right away and then kind of like, come in with that three point idea or that, you know, that sync that the idea or the project or the copy or the marketing campaign in this, you know, in this scenario. Oh, I love that too. And it's interesting you sharing that as well, reflecting on, I think I'm somewhere in between you and Jason. Like Jason's one of those guys that like, he just has a presence about him and and people are very like, He's magnetic. Like people mm. just really enjoy Jason a lot. And he, it happened the other day. <laughs> Actually, it's a little side note. I was reflecting on this on that panel I brought up earlier. Jason and I both have the same microphone set up as each other. But like for some reason, the host of the panel like kept bringing attention to Jason's microphone. And I'm sitting there going like, well, why are you singling him out? Like I have the exact same setup, but he was like <laughs> really focused on Jason. And I was thinking, huh, like maybe there's just something about Jason that draws a lot of attention. And I found 
that I, for a lot of my life, Monica, was that person that was like very quiet and I, I just didn't feel comfortable speaking up. But I would feel like I was missing out mm -hmm. if I didn't speak up more. And so I started to build more confidence and feel like you're kind of saying too about yourself, like you're not that shy in public situations. I kind of waver. It depends if I'm trying to like get attention for a specific reason or not. And then like I'll really try to to make myself known. It's such an interesting thing too, because whenever I have that feeling, I like to try to have awareness about why. Like, why do I feel the need to get attention or validation or like, yeah, it's almost like it's a great skill that you developed, which is being okay when you feel overlooked mm -hmm. because you don't always need to be the center of attention. It's more that when you feel like you want your ideas to be known or when you want to use your skill to win a game in the basketball sense or whatever you're working on, that's when it's important. But a lot of people are like so after getting attention, there's not even like a reason for it. They just want attention for attention's sake versus like wanting attention because, as you said, you want your ideas to be known. It's just kind of a, a fascinating thing to reflect on about yourself. Yeah. And I, I, that's so funny because I was just thinking about what you just said was being okay with being overlooked. And that is something I definitely had to just realize and accept that sometimes I will be overlooked because, and, and no offense to, you know, loud people, no offense, Jason, my best friend is extremely extroverted. And there will be situations where she'll say, I'll say something, she'll say the same thing. And the person will be like, Oh, great idea, cat. And yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's that confidence oh, that comes, man. I think, and being animated and a little like louder and more boisterous, like exudes this confidence. And I had to just be like, okay, well, I'm not like that. And that's just where things are at. And that's okay. Because, you know, I get my ideas out there when they really matter. And I don't have to worry about being the person that gave the great advice or being the person that has the ideas all the time. I can make sure that when it's really important to me, I make a point of being heard, but don't always have to be. I think there's an interesting reinforcement that takes place in childhood in a lot of ways where if we as kids have a set of behaviors and those behaviors are rewarded and celebrated, then obviously we're looking for that proverbial cookie in terms of attention and approval and affection. Mm. I've talked about this in previous episodes of undoing. Once I became aware of it, starting to practice undoing a mechanism of approval and attention that I always felt, I wasn't aware of this as a kid, but becoming an adult, like, oh, so I had this predisposition to being boisterous and wacky and entertaining and making people laugh and observed as a kid that if I was the one making everyone laugh and having a good time and like, oh, you know, Jason's the extrovert, he's the class clown, <laughs> you know, all those things. It becomes sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy where it's like, oh, well, I'm an extrovert. But if I'm honest about it and get to the heart of it, it's because maybe there's a part of me that likes the cookies, likes the rewards that I get for it. But in recent years, I've realized that I really like being a homebody. And through this COVID quarantine, I've really enjoyed not being so much on video on social media and not doing so many YouTube videos. And even though I miss doing speaking appearances and doing music gigs and being on a stage, there's a part of me that really doesn't feel as needy for that kind of attention from people. And it's almost like now I get to enjoy it more rather than being run by that mechanism that tries to convince me that I need their attention and approval. It's a subtle thing, but it's major for me. 
That reminds me of a, a funny tweet that I saw, and it said, social distancing, please. I've been training for a pandemic my entire life. <laughs> Introverts, rise up. We're finally valid. <laughs> yeah. And that was uh, this at Daniel Howell. We'll, we'll link to his tweet in the show notes here. But there was a there was actually like a whole, I don't know if it was BuzzFeed or someone like that. They did like a little recap of the best tweets from introverts during COVID-19 and how introverts finally feel like people are understanding them. Yep. <laughs> yep. And then there was another phrase I thought was really amusing, how introverts will say things like, I don't want to go out, but I still want to be invited to go out. Like, yep. I'm always going to say no, but I never want you to stop asking me to get together with you. And that's something that I've struggled with. I struggle with it almost every day. I think it's really great that introversion is being more understood because I, for a lot of my life, I've felt really uncomfortable with the fact that I don't always want to socialize, mm -hmm. you know, and it's so hard to say no. And I would find myself saying yes to things and then making plans and then completely regretting it, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's something a lot of people can relate to. And it's hard in friendships as well as business things. Like I dread almost, <laughs> I mean, I, to be completely honest, like I dread almost any planned social interaction. Because, <laughs> the same, 100% same. <laughs> like every time I'm <laughs> scheduled to do something business or just like pleasure wise, like with friends or something, I have to work on it constantly. and. Sometimes I'll go and do something and I'll be like, oh, you know, it's it's not so bad. Like, I'm glad I did this. And then sometimes I really regret saying yes to things. And I'm I'm still trying to figure out that balance, you know? Yeah, sometimes things are just as bad as you thought they were going to be. And that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I that to me is majorly about energy. So I think one of the ways I cope is if I can say yes to something, if I know it's going to have a very specific end time, because I can monitor my energy and make sure like, okay, I've got enough energy to handle an hour of this, but I really suffer when it's open-ended and they're like, hey, show up at seven o'clock. And you're like, okay, but are we going to be done at eight, at nine? Am I going to be here all night? Like, when can I escape out the back door? You know, yeah. <laughs> like- I like having an escape, you know, and a, and a reason. And I still feel like even in my adulthood, a lot of people don't understand that. I don't want to come across as like a bad friend, you know, but it's like kind of trying to figure out my boundaries. I'm sure you can relate to that too. Absolutely. And Jason, I'm sure. It seems to me, Jason, correct me if I'm wrong about this, but it seems like you have a much higher tolerance. When we go to social or business events, I'm ready to go in like 20 minutes. I can like show up look around the room, find some people to talk to, eat some food, and then I'm done. Jason, on the other hand, if we go together, I have to be prepared that he's going to want to stay like four times as long as me. Yeah, that's accurate. And and I also think that I have a mechanism inside of me that it's almost like a light switch where when I'm done being social and I'm done being an extrovert and I'm done interacting with a lot of people, it's almost like an instantaneous thing. It's like how some people can lay down on the couch or sit down to go to sleep and they're just out after like five minutes. It just, they're just gone. I feel like I have a switch, a social switch like that, where to Whitney's point, I do like that kind of social interaction more. 
especially if the energy is good with the crowd and I'm really enjoying talking to people. My energetic stamina is really long, but inevitably at some point in the night, and this is without fail, every social obligation I go to, the light switch, the social switch gets flipped to me. I'm like, I want to go now. And all of a sudden I'm just like, I'm done. And it's not like I end a conversation like a dick and just walk out like, (laughs) bye. I don't do that. But I observed in myself once that switch gets activated, if I'm, say, talking to someone who's trying to monopolize more of my time, I say to them subtly like, hey, I got to get going. My dog's at home or whatever. And they ignore that and they keep like digging into me. I start to get really anxious because my being is like, "Mm, time to go, time to go. But this person's not like grokking that. Mm. And then it's like, how do I get out the door? Maybe I don't care about offending them. Maybe I should just fucking go. <laughs> so once that switch gets flipped with, uh, it's just like, I'm ready to go. Like at that moment. I can relate to all of these things. <laughs> and I'm a pretty typical introvert when it comes to socializing. I'll, I can do it. And I, Whitney, I so identify with that. Like if there's no end time, you better believe that I will be Irish goodbying at some point during the night. <laughs> Me too. Oh man, I love an an Irish goodbye. And some people think it's so rude, but like, I love just leaving without. I hate standing around and saying goodbye to people with the small. Oh my gosh! (laughs) No, it's like when you want to go. And I'm just gonna say this real quick. I think it's as a sweeping generalization. This is endemic of the vegan slash eco conscious slash conscious community slash yoga like whatever the hell we want to call people who give a shit about doing better on planet earth let's whatever that community is like it's not just saying goodbye everybody wants a hug Mm. everyone wants to be eye gaze everyone i love you bro love you too okay okay i'm right okay now i have 20 more hugs to give before i walk out the fucking door because you can't slip out with and if you hug one person legit it's like 19 other people need hugs if the i if you like Somebody wants to introduce, oh, hey, don't leave yet. Or totally. you haven't met this person yet. And then you're like, oh, no. And Completely. Oh, that's the worst. Just thinking about it makes me so uncomfortable. It's so funny. I don't envy my friends who are some like have a pretty good like vegan bloggers who have a pretty good following where they're always being. Ins- and most of them are introverts, actually. And I can just like go to the doorway, put my hand up in the air and be like, bye. And I don't have to worry about that because I just don't have that presence like they do. And I, I don't envy that. Like, oh, no, you need to meet this person like we need to I'm like oh man that is a lot it's brilliant that you've created a business based on introversion because you also like are probably around a lot of very understanding introverts and like you're all in the same boat and everyone's cool with it and you're right like your whole brand instead of being about standing out and being well known you're just about connecting with people on a deep level which is I feel like a big desire of introverts I don't like small talk because it feels so surface and superficial, but I love a deep conversation with somebody when I feel really mentally stimulated. I could actually hang out with someone for hours. It's more the the idea that I might not get that interaction with people that makes it hard for me to socialize. There was something else I was going to say about this, but I completely lost it. (laughs) Well, while you think of it, I completely agree. And what Jason was talking about, like if I see someone on the street, like, Not so much here because I don't know as many people here, but when I lived in LA and more of an acquaintance, not a good friend. And they were like, hey, and wanted to talk maybe a regular from Bright Spot or I worked at Secret Headquarters, the comic book shop in Silver Lake for five years too. And just like, I would be mapping out in my head the escape plan. I'm like, when is the light going to turn? So I can be like, oh, I got to catch this light or I got to get out of here. (laughs) I would just be trying to figure out how to escape 
the conversation because it was so small talk. For a long time, I felt super bad about that. But then I was just like, no, it's just I need to figure out a way to just be like, hey, yeah, nice to see you. I gotta go because it just drains my energy so much faster than even being on a stage talking and talking to a large group of people. It's weird how that is. That small talk just super, super drains me. And it's funny because my whole life, it's all about, because I love extroverts. So it's all about the person really at the end of the day. Every single best friend that I've had in, in every phase of my life, elementary school, high school, college, now my best friend lives with me. They're all extroverts. My business coach is an extrovert. I love extroverts because just like Jason was saying, he was able to kind of discover the introvert within him during COVID and having to be a homebody. I need that little push to show me that I have like an outgoing version of myself and that I can. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Extroverts are so great to have around because whenever I don't feel like talking, I just tell Jason to talk for the both of us. And this works really well (laughs) at business events. Like most of the time. Because the two of us work together on our brand Wellevator and this podcast, anytime someone's like, so tell me more about Wellevator, what's your podcast about? And I just turn and look at Jason and make him do all the talking. It is. It's, it's like, wonderful. just tap in. And be, whenever I tell introverts, they're like, what's your biggest networking tip? I'm like, go with an extroverted friend. That's my biggest networking tip. Yes. The only problem, though, I would say, as I mentioned earlier, is that That's Jason true. likes to stay longer at events than I do. And so it's almost like it's best if we take separate cars or however our transportation is so that I can sneak out with the Irish goodbye and Jason can stay longer. Otherwise, if we carpool, I'm miserable for three quarters of the time that he's there. You have given me an incredible new business idea and income stream. Here it is. It's going to be called Hire an Extrovert. (laughs) YourExtrovertedFriend.com, where introverts can hire me to accompany them as a liaison (laughs) to their public events. And I will schmooze and socialize and wow and magnetize and allow them to slip out the back door undetected while I continue to make business connections for them. This is (laughs) gold. It's a great idea. And you are great at it, Jason. You could find a whole network of people that are equally good at it and create a whole little agency for yourself. I feel like I need to hire Whitney and Monica, both of you, as my <laughs> madams. Like, instead of like, <laughs> like you're both going to pimp me out to your introverted friends and be like, actually, yes, I have a guy named Jason you have to meet. His rates are incredibly affordable. And let me tell you, he's the best. Yes. In the I have biz. a whole target market for you. <laughs> like, just pimp me out. You guys get a cut. You guys get a cut. Yes. And you pimp me out. I mean, I am all my best friend would totally be down. My best friend, (laughs) I'm serious right now. We call her the hype woman because, like, she just brings me in. She brings me in. She's like, Oh, have you met my marketing and copywriting friend, Monica? (laughs) You know, it's like this. I'm like, Oh, thank you. Oh, but sometimes I can't stand Ah. those, those introductions though, because I mean, maybe you handle this differently, but I don't like being introduced that way because then I feel like I'm about to embark on a small talk conversation. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't like it when people are like, so Whitney, tell me what you do. I'm like, oh my God, please never no, ask me that whole, question. I did a whole my marketing website. Monday episode, which is my my Instagram like little like live I do every Monday about when someone asks you that question, what do I do? And the biggest, because you know, it always comes up. If you're going to go to a networking thing, even if you have your extroverted friend, 
Like it always comes up. What do you do? Because that's ultimately what we're there for, you know? So it's that thing where you're like, okay, how do I make this not surface level and terrible for myself right now? And still, you know, maybe make a great connection. So I've written like just like a one liner for myself that I can say super quickly that tells people exactly like what I do, who I help and how I help them, what the mediums are. Like I say, you know, I'm a marketing consultant and copywriter and I help introverted solopreneurs make a full time income with their service-based business through my membership and one-on-one services. And then people are like, oh, okay, well, (laughs) it just kind of answers all those questions. And then we can get into a deeper conversation because that's been covered and out of the way. So I always tell my clients to make a little one-liner that they can say and just memorize it. So you're not feeling like, and start getting red and sweaty and hivy and and have to go into that. Like, oh, I don't know what to say, but also I know this is going to be terrible because it's going to be you know, manufactured and, you know, not a real conversation. But I feel doing that has made it has made it possible for me to just skip over that super quickly and be able to get to like a real conversation and make it about them. So I don't have to talk as much. And, you know, people love to talk about themselves and they love to be listened to. So it works out really well. Yes. And that, I guess, is my question. Well, my tactic is I much rather listen when it comes, I'm always going to ask that person first what they do so I can listen before I have to speak. Because once I learn more about them, then I can find out how or whether or not we there's something that I could do to help them or support them. And then it makes it easier for me to talk about myself because I have that context. But then what do you Mm -hmm. do, Monica? What's your advice for when you tell somebody what you do and and you can tell they have zero interest, like (laughs) they could care less You know, like when you're at a networking event, everyone's just looking to see like the person that can help them the most. And if you're not that person, they start looking over your shoulder and around the room to see how like quickly they can get out of that conversation. That's like one of the most cringeworthy moments. So let's say you give them your one liner. How do you get out of an awkward conversation after that? What's your tip? Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. I well, since I'm a copywriter, People are generally interested because people want to know about copywriting. So I thankfully get to usually be in a really great conversation about their business and how they're helping people. And then I can like give them a few ideas. But when that does happen, it makes it so much easier for me to just check out and be like, uh, you know, like, uh, I got to go talk to my friend over there. Or <laughs> I do just like the typical like excuse, like, hey, I'm going to go to the bathroom or I got to go talk to my friend over there. And really, I'm just doing us both a favor because like you said, you can tell they're not interested <laughs> anyway. So who cares? I don't think I'm offending them. But even if I am, I can be like, well, we all knew where that was going. That was a train wreck of a conversation. <laughs> yep. What do you do in those situations, Jason? I feel like Jason gets pulled into those a lot and he's so kind. The big difference is like, I would rather be a little bit rude and get out of that conversation than be kind and be stuck in an uncomfortable conversation. But I feel like Jason, Jason, you you might lean towards being kinder versus rude in those scenarios. Uh, Well, there's nuance with all this, right? Because I, to piggyback on what Monica said, that people really want to be heard and speak. And I believe whatever degree on that spectrum of introversion or extroversion People want to have their voice be heard, right? People want to feel like they are being of contribution. And I think even when people are rambling on or they're rude or they're looking or the other thing at trade shows or conferences is like they'll stare at your badge to try and assess if you're worth talking to. Oh, yeah. And like, I understand like, okay, this person is just 
They have their objectives and their agendas. I don't know what their objectives and agendas are, but I'm going to err on the side of thinking that they're a good person until they prove otherwise. However, there is a point in a conversation where I feel like someone is being like, for lack of a better word, like glomming on or being clingy. And Whitney's actually been great about that when we've done conferences or I've, I've done speaking appearances or we've both have where people will kind of magnetize to me because they want to glom on and ask me a bunch of questions. And Whitney's always done a great job because she'll she'll look at my energy as her best friend and know like when I really kind of want to like woo, 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 like go out the back door, she'll be like, oh, we have another meeting to get to. Hey, Jason, we got to go. And she'll like usher me out because I'm almost too kind in those situations because I know people just want to ask me about their, their grandma in Poughkeepsie and their cousin with mental health issues and what vegan cheese they should eat. And I get a litany of bizarro questions. And I'm not the best at like knowing when to hit the eject button. So Whitney's really good at helping me eject from that seat when it's time to. See, and that's why we need to start hire an introvert as a business too, (laughs) because, you know, extroverts can use the help of introverts a lot as well. And that actually reminds me of of something I was going to bring up earlier when I kind of had that brain fart (laughs) is, uh, You know, when you talked about, Monica, how you feel grateful that you don't have as big of a social media or online presence and so people don't recognize you, it is really interesting because I feel like we live in this time where a lot of people feel the pressure to have a big audience and be famous Mm. and well-known. And there's also a downside to that, especially if you're introverted. And I've actually come to appreciate that ability It's almost like when you see a celebrity in a way, especially if you live in the city like Los Angeles, they're around very often. But there's part of me that feels a little bad for celebrities in certain environments because they can't just like escape out the back door and they can't just go grocery shopping. Everyone's always staring at them and watching their every move or they might want to come up and take a picture. One time Jason and I went to a yoga class and there was a really well-known actor in our yoga class and he's just trying to work out like the rest of us, but the entire class was distracted by him and then they want to take pictures with him afterwards. And I remember thinking, gosh, that sounds pretty awful, especially as an introvert. But I think even for Jason, like I imagine Jason, you probably wouldn't want to be in that situation all the time either. I think that this is an important conversation for for several reasons. I think, number one, there's a double-edged sword. We've talked about this in terms of our shame culture and cancel culture and, and the weird mixed messages that we get in our society, which is hustle your ass off, work toward your dream, don't stop until you get it, get famous, get rich. Like All of these societal values are done in a very toxic, materialistic, egoic way, right? Encouraging all that. But then when you see stories of a celebrity on a press junket, right, of an album or a movie, and they've done the 150 of these interviews and asked the same fucking questions, and they're like, oh, so-and-so got miffed in an interview today, and how dare they? There's so much privilege. Like, in exchange for fame and wealth and that level of privilege, we do put famous people and celebrities under a level of scrutiny and removing certain freedoms from their life in exchange for that. And this is by no means a sympathy plea for the rich and famous. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying people are very dismissive of the challenges they go through. Like, I just want to go to the grocery store. I just want to go to the vegan frozen ice cream place and not be fucking bugged. I just want to get my fucking ice cream. And so, again, not sympathy, but I understand how frustrating that could be to be like, wait, I've achieved this level of wealth and fame and recognition. I can't even just go to the ice cream store without making it like a 45-minute affair. 
So I think it's a weird double-edged sword in that way of we encourage people to chase that and get it. But then if they are dismissive or they're rude or don't sign an autograph or make a snarky comment, then we put them under a crushing microscope telling everyone what assholes they are. Like it's a very weird schizophrenic type of behavior toward toward fame and wealth and privilege in society. Yeah, I agree. And that that microscope, I can't imagine as an introvert really having to deal with that because you're just trying to live your life. And when you like imagine not having the energy and having to just give it all the time, because if you don't, you are rude or an asshole or a bitch or whatever people are calling celebrities. And I always hear people are like, oh, I this one time I met a celebrity and they were a dick and now they're just a dick forever. And I'm like, well, that's probably not true. It's probably yeah, just, like, you know, a momentary thing. Maybe you can't really judge them off of one interaction. Totally right. And the other thing, too, with this is it's interesting to see that there are places on the earth I've lived in in a lot of big cities, which is one reason why I'm ready for something slower than a giant megalopolis. But, you know, being in a place like LA and probably New York City, maybe to a lesser degree, London, there's this inculcation of acting and music and entertainment and the cost of living being so high and and this Mm -hmm. desire, especially now with social media and the rise of influencer culture that, as Andy Warhol said, like everyone's looking for their 15 minutes and how to capitalize on those 15 minutes of fame. But it's like once you get out of the LA bubble, the New York bubble, the London bubble to other places, you realize that people aren't chasing fame in the same way. You know, when I go back home to Detroit or I was in Chicago for a few years studying copywriting, by the way, we need to get to that because we also have that link. (laughs) Yeah, you guys have a lot in common. We do. We do. Monica keeps saying things and I'm like, sounds like Jason. Yeah, it's crazy. So so I want to get into the copywriting thing and some ethical considerations. But but while we're on fame, it's like, you know, people in Chicago, Detroit, I don't know if you find this way in, in the Pacific Northwest, Monica, but it's not that level of a, acute, desperate, heated fame seeking a la LA, New York. Like, I don't feel it in those places. No, I definitely don't feel it here. And living in LA for 10 years was definitely immersed in it for sure, but not being in the industry. It's so interesting because I've gotten tastes a little bit with bare bones in LA where a stranger would be like, oh, you're bare bones. And I'm like, what? And our friends, I'm, I don't know if you know, uh, Chris and Jasmine, Sweet Simple Vegan. Yeah, they're uh, in Vancouver too, right? Yes, we live about five minutes away from each other and they're really oh, good friends. Wow. Yeah, and so we go on their taste test videos sometimes, myself and my partner and my best friend. And here in Portland at vegan restaurants, people are like, oh, you were in the like bacon taste test video. And I was like, oh, what? Like, it's so disorienting. And I'm like, wow, this is not something I want. And I've only had these like tiny tastes of it, you know? So it's such, it's so, so interesting to think about how that and it actually made me think about how like I like being on social media I like I like social media I like being on social media people always push me to have my face out there because I'm good at it but what I've realized I think especially during the last few months during the staying safer at home and the pandemic is that I like being behind the scenes and I haven't built a successful business because of a social media presence I've built it because of the relationships I've nurtured over time. And that's why, you know, I have these copywriting retainers and marketing retainers. I've been able to, for once in my life, not live paycheck to paycheck. (laughs) That's why, not because I've had a presence on social media. And, And while we're on the social media topic, when it comes to marketing, it's something that's been so, you know, like maybe set up to be the silver bullet in marketing and business where I have business owners just coming to me and be like, what kind of content do I put on social media? And I'm like, well, that's great, but none of that matters. 
if you don't have you know a marketing funnel in place, a sales system in place, if you don't have copy that connects with your audience, it's not doesn't really matter what you put on social media. So it's even social media has become this monster for many, many reasons. That could be a whole episode probably. And then it's great for many reasons. But I think it's really become this end all be all of everything in society and success and how you know we build business and how we even live life that is um, problematic and not holistic. This is super interesting because I, I do want to dive into the copywriting, not only because we have that similar background in my previous life before being a vegan chef and podcaster and, and TV host, cookbooks, all that stuff. I worked as a copywriter uh, in agencies for many years, Monica. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. And so, so we have that link and I'm sure you and I could like do a crazy deep dive on that entire world. But I want to talk about two aspects of marketing and copywriting and content as a business because you brought it up. And mm-hmm. Whitney, of course, wants your perspective on this too, because you've done so much business consulting and content creation. I feel like there are some interesting ethical considerations, one of which is deciding, even as we are trying to make a living with our craft and our art, right? Our mm-hmm. art of writing, our art of consulting, the art that we do. There's been so many times in the past when I was focusing on marketing and copywriting that there were major ethical red flags with certain clients, say on the agency side, where I didn't have the autonomy necessarily to say no, because I'm an employee of the agency, as opposed to being an independent contractor working for myself. And so I'm curious, question A, because there's a B question is in life being working for someone else in marketing or your own marketing How do you handle the decision between like, oh, this could be a super well-paying gig, but there are some ethical things about how they run their business that maybe I'm not so cool with. And Mm -hmm. how have you handled that in the past? Have you ever come up against a decision like that before? Yeah, so far, I've been really lucky and fortunate to not have had to run into some really ethical decisions like that. I mean, and even what has just happened in the last few weeks with um, Black Lives Matter and the uprising and the revolution, which is amazing. And having to see what my clients, how they, you know, responded, which I was really lucky that everyone responded really genuinely and has already been doing a lot of work in the space. And I think that has something to do with my marketing also is that I'm very, I don't separate myself and my own values and the work that I've done my whole life in like environmental justice, racial justice, social justice, animal rights, all the causes, public health, all the thing, all the causes I've worked in as an employee and as a contractor. I'm very vocal about those things. And I think that's putting that out there has attracted clients that also are on the, have the same values as I've had. So I've never worked for an agency for copywriting. So I never really had to just go with the flow as far as who clients were. I was lucky enough to have a lot of like nonprofit clients who were doing really great things. And now even my for-profit clients, I really like to attract and I copyright to attract uh, mission-driven businesses who share the values that I share. And I think that's really important now more than ever to really be vocal in your values. I did a Mellow Marketing Monday last week where I said this, this thing where businesses don't take a stand on social issues is bullshit. And it's always been bullshit, but now they're not going to be able to get away with it. And I'm really excited about that. I'm curious because this goes into, and Whitney, I I want you to jump in on the second part of the conversation too, the B question in this is in terms of what's happening with Black Lives Matter, in terms of happening with the ecological crisis, I mean, COVID-19, the amalgam of things we're facing as a human society right now, which is so wonderful that the awareness and the education and people's eyes and hearts are being opened. The thing that I'm trying to discern, though, 
and Whitney and I have talked about this, Monica, is uh, <laughs> authenticity and vulnerability <laughs> and realness being these buzzwords in marketing. Oof. Where when you see, say, a company come out and you know that their attempt is to be authentic, their attempt is to be somewhat intentional with their sensitivity around social justice or a lot of the issues we're talking about, but it lands in a way that feels, mm, what is the technical term, icky? Manufactured. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel like there's been so much about hashtag real talk, hashtag authenticity, hashtag vulnerability, mm. but I see not just content creators, but brands being like, okay, guys, we're about to get vulnerable. And I'm like, you're, well, if you announce you're about to get vulnerable, you're kind of telegraphing it. And so I'm immediately on the defense and, and suspicion that you're not actually going to be vulnerable. I guess my long question is, I think that real authenticity and no bullshit and coming with the real and coming with real openness and vulnerability does connect with people. And there's a quality to that energy and those words that people feel. Mm -hmm. But what do you think is the qualitative energetic difference between actually being authentic and vulnerable and real and someone doing it as a marketing strategy? Like, can you Ooh. describe the nuance with that? Yes, that is. Uh, I'm so glad you brought this up because it's something that I've even a year ago was talking about because I can't stand using the word authenticity in business anymore. <laughs> like, I think it's such a buzzword that is so strange to me. And what I tell my clients and what I've definitely said in some of my content is authenticity is not a marketing strategy. You either are or you aren't authentic in what you're doing. And that has become really problematic in the marketing world for sure. And the same with vulnerability. And I have a lot of introverts that I work with that are like, oh, I, you know, I see everyone being vulnerable and they're really private people. So they're like, what do I have to do on social media? Do I have to tell my whole life story? People are like, alert, vulnerable posts. I'm like, you don't have to do any of those things. Like for me, this might sound kind of rude, but for me as growing up in my experience, anyone who said they were something before, like preface that they were something before explaining themselves usually weren't that thing. So people, my friends yeah. that would be like, I'm super into, you know, I'm super independent, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, are you though? Because you had to say it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Right. So, I mean, right. I was talking to Jason the other day about how it's a really interesting time right now with Black Lives Matter, because it seems like all of a sudden, all of these people are trying to show that they're not racist. And it's yeah. like, if you're saying you're not racist, part of me starts to feel like, are you really anti-racist or are you just saying that because you feel pressured to say it? And it's tough because in a way it's similar to authenticity. It's important to be authentic. It's important not to be racist. You know, we need to know these things about people. We need to make sure that we align with their ethics and their values and that we, that people are being honest and transparent. But if it feels forced, if it feels like it's just something you're doing with the timing that's where I start to get skeptical. So for me, it's been interesting watching the response to the Black Lives Matter movement right now that is so heightened. And when I'm hearing for the very, when someone for the very first time is featuring Black people on their content, I feel mm -hmm. like, well, why haven't you been featuring them before? Like, why all of the sudden? Yeah, It's like an overcorrection. And part of me is like, all right, well, maybe we just need to be patient because maybe all this awareness is helping people correct themselves so they can do better. And that's ultimately what's important. It's okay to be skeptical. And I also don't want to cancel anybody because 
we're all evolving. We're all learning. And, and as Jason said, we're just not supporters of cancel culture. Like, I think we should give people another chance if they prove time and time and time again that they're not improving. That's one thing. But whether it's authenticity or showing that you're inclusive of everybody, no matter what they look like or what they believe or how they live, if you can be exclusive and it's suddenly emphasized more than ever, then maybe that's a good thing. I'm just probably going to be a little annoyed by it for a little while. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I think authenticity going back to that is similar where we're all learning how to be more authentic. And it's tough because as you know, Monica, it's it, we've gone through a lot of different phases with marketing. And I think that is such a big buzzword because five plus years ago, it wasn't cool to be authentic. It was cool to show your highlight reel. It wasn't cool to show the things that you were struggling with. It didn't seem like it was good for business to show yourself as a real person. It was like, hey, everybody, show your polished side. Like You should wear a business suit and you should only go on camera if you're wearing makeup and you should always say things right and you need to edit everything and you should never post photos unless you look skinny in them or whatever, it, you know, like whatever that is. And now we're in a time where we're embracing people's flaws more. And that's also trendy. It's like, ooh, let me show everybody how flawed I am. <laughs> yeah, it's like on the other end of the spectrum of like, are you being authentic by showing your flaws? Or is that just like another version of the highlight reel? Um, yeah, it's very I know. Strange. I struggle with that. Actually, you know, similar to you, Monica, in terms of reinvention, I'm in a phase right now of moving away from this moniker of eco vegan gal into mm -hmm. just Whitney Lauritsen. And I've, it could be analysis paralysis, but I also feel like I actually struggle a lot with figuring out what is authentically me because of all these trends, you know? And I, I've struggled with the Black Lives Matter mm -hmm. time that we're in where it's like, I want to say something, but I don't want to come across like I'm saying it just to say it or trying to, right. what's the term that like be, posture or presenting. What is it? Yeah. yeah. Performative. Thank you. I certainly don't want to be, I want it to truly feel authentic, not a contrived authenticity. And it's really tough because the analysis paralysis is like, well, I could say this, but what if it's perceived that way? So maybe I should say it this way, but that could also be, and you start to go down this, yeah. this path of thinking you're never going to feel like it's right. And that's where I get paralyzed. I've seen that a lot with my clients um, in the last few weeks. And so I have a membership that I help introverted solopreneurs. It's like a, a really like monthly membership, like low cost membership. And we I have office hours for it. And so I help them with marketing and content. So they've come in asking these exact questions and I can just give my opinion. And as like a cisgender white female, I, you know, I just have my perspective and I just have what feels right to me. But what I have told them is like, I'm like, okay, so if you're active on social media, and like my partner does not use social media. He posts like maybe once a year. So <laughs> I don't think it was as weird that he didn't go on Instagram, but went on Facebook because he uses it more, right? So I was telling them, if you're posting every day, every week, all the time on Instagram, and when the Black Lives Movement came around, I was like, this is you drawing your line in the sand. You're like, no, I'm committed to being anti-racist. And all of this to me, in my opinion, all of what we're doing is performative until we prove that it's not. And that's going to take time. It's not something that's going to happen in the next few weeks. We have to keep working at this and remind ourselves that's going to be weaved through our values. And I think that's the 
what people are really having to look inward and myself too. Like, you know, even in being part of movements, I shared on social media and was outraged in the moment when these murders have happened. But what was I doing in between those moments? And that's a reflection that I'm dealing with. Like, what was I really doing in between those moments? So I told my clients, just you've drawn your line in the sand, your values are out there. You don't, you know, need to center yourself and be telling people what you're doing all the time. Just do the work and have the conversations and make sure that your business values are reflecting your personal values because at the end of the day, it is you. So I don't think it's so much about doing it right as it is about doing the work and then making sure that people know that if they're not anti-racist, that you're not a good fit for your for your business. And that's something that I made sure of saying. And that was something I really wanted to say when this started. Like, if you're not anti-racist also, we're not, we're probably not a good fit. And that was kind of my like beginning of doing this work is making sure that that was known and those values were out there. But I think it's definitely been really hard, especially for introverts who have that analysis paralysis or very introspective and quiet and want to hold back and like kind of process things before just jumping in. Um, and I've been telling introverts I work with, like, that's okay. Just, you know, when, when you're ready to say something, say something, but don't get held back by the perfection because perfection is rooted in white supremacy also. So it's like one of those things we're all unlearning things and this is all inside of us. And it's time for us to unlearn and then learn what we can do to be anti-racist. Whoa. I love that about the perfectionism roots. I'd love to hear you speak more about that. I mean, I don't know if I've ever heard it positioned that way, but that's fascinating. Yeah, I'm definitely not an authority to speak on it, but I've done some racial justice trainings. And that was the one thing it was like overworking as a cultural norm, perfectionism, like all these things that have been put on us are, are rooted in that, like that structure of white supremacy and kind of yeah, I, so I'm not, I'm definitely not like an authority on it. So I wouldn't want to go too far into it. But it's something that really stuck with me from a racial justice training last year, that I was like, wow, that is powerful. Like the, this perfectionism is really only making these opportunities available to people who are able to get the opportunities to be more perfect in what they do and have the time and the space and the privilege of not worrying about other survival things in our life. So that's what like really hit me about that. And really, really um, changed my perspective on the perfectionist in me. Wow, that's powerful. I definitely want to research that more myself. Definitely. There's so much to unlearn and, and learn, you know? The thing that come up for me a lot in my own internal processing lately and doing the work to look at at my blind spots and my ignorance and, and all of these things is kind of going back to deeply embedded belief systems and human psychology and mm. This is going to, at the risk of sounding completely pedantic, and maybe even a little bit ridiculous how I'm about to say this, this is just welcome to my mind and the thoughts that I think. In terms of the mechanisms of control, you know, the white male-dominated hierarchy that we've been clinging to in society that is hopefully now its grip is loosening and people are opening their hearts and their minds to new possibilities. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, it's fascinating and doesn't make sense to me, but I guess in a hierarchy of control it does. Why? you would be so concerned about another person's sexuality of what who they decide to love, what they decide to do with their genitals, what they decide to call themselves when it's none of your fucking business. And their sexuality and their romance and their love and, and who and what and how they want to be has anything to do with how it affects your life. That's one part I trip on that. I'm like, why do you care so much about this? Let people be as they are on basis of their skin color, their religion, their sexuality, 
you know, whatever gender pronouns they choose to like, whatever it is, why from a psychological perspective, why are people so reticent to just people live and have equal pay and have equal rights and not be under the threat of violence and oppression? And I think it goes back to, you know, the systemic part of it, right? Is that from our economic system to our judicial system to every fucking facet of our system has been skewed to be advantageous to white males. And maybe on a subconscious level, they're not they. People who are afraid of things changing or granting equal rights or extending civil liberties to people different than them. I wonder if there's an awareness of, oh, maybe I have this subconscious motivation of control and my white fragility is getting activated because I'm afraid of losing control or losing my status or losing my wealth or losing my privilege. But I kind of observe it of like, if we grant everyone these equal rights and equal justice and equal pay, and we extend basic human decency and love and kindness to everyone, I don't see that there's a losing proposition in there anywhere. And it fascinates me that some people would perceive that as a losing proposition. Yeah, I agree and can't really understand that as well, but also think it has to do with the equity part of it too, even more so than the equality part of it, where that Ah. equity, that making up for that time where people were oppressed and didn't have the opportunities to build wealth like um, white people. And, and, you know, I think as a a cisgender white female, I, I know that, you know, with the patriarchy, I've had some, you know, definitely some oppression, but really, I think we're pretty complicit. I mean, very complicit, but almost just as <laughs> not to blame, but white women that are straight, we're definitely have been a part of the system, have been benefiting from it and have been not wanting to to extend those rights and privileges to anyone else because we just got them and we want to make sure we can have our like little bit of power too. So I think yeah. it's that equity part that really trips people up. When people hear the words reparations and things like that, they automatically think that their opportunity is gone which is really not not what people are saying or even wanting, but it's that, oh, there's so, it's so complicated, I think, with capitalism and the patriarchy and and everything and white supremacy and just the fear it's instilled and the really like stellar job that the government in this country has put into us to be individuals instead of a community. (laughs) That makes it really hard to bridge those gaps. And I think the fear plays a big part in that. I think I have to think that it's the only reason people don't understand other people's need to just exist as exactly who they are is some kind of fear that's been instilled by we know there's some definitely some news <laughs> channels that definitely perpetuate that. But it's really sad, like moderating, I have nonprofit clients, and they're posting about Black Lives Matter and support posting about trans, Black Trans Lives Matter and LGBTQIA issues. And people are very hateful in the comments. And I'm just like, wow, I see a lot of hate, but I also see a lot of fear. And that is really sad because they don't, they can't, there's no imagination. There's such a lack of imagination of the better world we could actually build and how equitable and equal it could be. Monica, it's so impressive to me. And I'm so grateful that you're speaking on on a lot of these things. Actually, even using the term cisgender, that was something that I wanted to explore more because I wasn't familiar with that term until recently. I saw it being used in a survey I took recently. Like, what do you identify as? And I, I didn't even know what that term meant. It's like brand new to me. Of course, I've heard transgender a lot. And and also now people have the option to say non-conforming or gender variant. And I love your awareness. And especially in marketing, 
you are trying to be very inclusive and you're doing like racial training and and just trying to understand different perspectives is so incredibly important and a huge value add that you have for your clients. I think it's not just introverts, clearly, <laughs> like you're really trying to be inclusive and what a just wonderful thing to offer the world. And I'm just very, very grateful that you offered your perspective on these things during this episode. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm so happy to. I think it's great that more conversations are happening, right? And I think, you know, that's the the challenge right now with that performative nature of things, right? Is that my business coach and people I'm friends with, they're like, oh, well, you could tell people that. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't really think it's my time to tell people. I need to just do what I'm doing. Like I said, again, a cisgender white woman, like I don't want there to, I don't need this for my marketing to be some kind of like white savior thing or to be performative and center myself in this work. Like I just need to do the work and the values that I project will hopefully attract the people who have the same values. And so far, based on, you know, who I get to work with, I can tell that that inclusivity is working. And that is like really encouraging and something that I really strive for. So I'm just like, I'm just going to keep being better. I'm going to have the tough conversations. I was ready to have them with clients if that was what needed to happen. Very, like, very cool and grateful that they didn't need to happen because they were on board and wanting to get better. And we're just like, right out there to, you know, to stand in solidarity, which was so encouraging. So I just, you know, I think that's the hard part is that people don't want to be seen like they're not talking about it, but then they don't want to center themselves. And I'm like, just do what feels right to you. If it doesn't feel right to you to post about it and say you're doing things, then don't do that. Just do them. People in your circle, people who come to you will know that you're doing that work and they'll know if you're not. And that's when you might need to adjust and pivot. But right now, just focus on you know how you can be better and don't worry about the entire world knowing because it's really your inner circle and your, you know, your 510 virtual mile radius, that is really where you can make the most difference. Incredible. Well, you're an amazing role model. I know you're very humble, but I want to acknowledge you for that. And what you just said, I think is incredibly valuable right now. And 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 really the the kind of theme about this episode, but your work in general, Monica, is giving people permission to be themselves and that true authenticity, that that non- performative authenticity, like who are you really and what do you have to give to this world? And each of us have so much to offer one another, but it can be tricky when we're looking for the right words to say, or we just don't know how to present ourselves. And it's just so wonderful that you're helping people discover that and ultimately giving them permission. None of us need permission, but a lot of us are looking for permission from somebody and so that's an incredibly powerful gift that you give to your clients and, and to anybody listening to this episode. Thank you. And that's so true. You nailed it. It's really, that's a lot of what I do is just give permission and tell people they're going in the right direction and let them know they don't have to do that thing that they saw in like four different marketing courses. They can do it another <laughs> way. And it really, I think, is goes back to that like leading by example. And I think that's kind of the theme my whole life is when I think about being a leader, that's always what I've wanted to do within veganism, environmentalism, you know, social justice in business and marketing and basketball. It's always just been like, I'm going to do what I feel is right. I don't always feel like being loud about it. And that's okay. People will notice and people always have noticed. And when I help fellow introverts with that, you know, my aunt always says, which is really nice of her, that 
I've known who I am since I was about 16. She was like, you've never wavered in that. And that is definitely a luxury that I recognize in myself is that I've been very confident in who I am from a very young age. So I never, I never like dressed professionally or did things that I didn't want to. I've always like done, you know, hairstyles and got a lot of tattoos and just worn vans with my like, you know, with my dress, if I had to go to something fancy, like I've always rebelled in those sort of ways. And it's never hindered my career or my experience because I knew it was attracting the people that were like, yeah, right on. And so I always ask people when they're like, I'm afraid to be myself. And if I don't do this, I'll look unprofessional. And I'm like, well, did I look unprofessional to you? And they're like, no, you just kind of seemed like you were being yourself. I'm like, yeah, and you definitely deserve that too. You could just be yourself and you're going to attract the right people to work with you. And you don't have to look a certain way. And all these Oh, these like so these social norms that we've been told we have to do. Like who you know, who says you have to do business in like a suit? <laughs> like I do, right. I do business behind my computer in my like corduroys and tank top every day and in my vans and I still have had a fruitful career and it's and my business is growing. So I just Yeah, so when people joined my membership, I asked them why they joined the introverted entrepreneur membership. And it wasn't because of the testimonials I'd gotten or the social proof or the the outcomes that I said I could help people get. They said it was because I understood that they were introverts and they were feeling this way and they saw that I was just doing it my way and that's why they wanted to be a part of it. And I think for anyone who's growing a business, a community or trying to grow a movement, just be yourself. Don't try to be anyone else because you're the only person who's you. You're the only person that has your perspective, your experience, your voice. And that's really powerful when you're trying to build something. And it's such an important reminder to say those things because as Jason and I have talked a lot about hustle culture, Mm. you know, being entrepreneurs, solopreneurs (laughs) and creatives and content creators and, you know, each of us have dabbled in this side of business. I think each of us have passion for working for ourselves and we've been trying to figure it out. I know when I started back in 2010, I had no idea what I was doing and I was trying to find people that could help me and resources and and what I kept finding back then and for the past 5 plus years after that was a lot of this hustle mentality. You know, the people that I would come across were Gary Vaynerchuk who is like, you know, you got to hustle all the time and you can't sleep and he's changed a little bit over the years and then Brendan Burchard is somebody that Jason and I have really admired and loved, but I noticed during COVID, I wasn't resonating with him as much because he had that mentality of, if you're not using this time to grow your business and all, and he was basically like saying, if you can't rest and and you need to be hustling all the time, at least that's how I was interpreting it. And I found myself more and more feeling like that doesn't resonate with me. And maybe that's an introverted thing, but but this feeling of like always having to go, 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 and it's not okay to rest. And you always have to be loud and you have to, you know, you have to be everywhere. I think that was part of Gary's message too, is be everywhere and be on every social media platform and always be posting and, and you never got to stop. And I've seen so many people burn out or feel so miserable from that. And Jason, I would love for you to chime in on this. I know we're wrapping soon, but I think it's a good note to end on that you don't have to do business the same way as everybody else. And I think there's a new wave of, you know, it's no longer business as usual. And we've been seeing this happen, each of us, as we've embarked on our career path. 
the trend 10 plus years ago and also recently was like, you don't have to work the nine to five. You can (laughs) start your own business and work for yourself. And I remember thinking, this is amazing. But I broke out of that mentality, but I went right into the hustle culture. And that ultimately did not serve me. It actually, I feel like was a hindrance. And so I've had to learn how to do things the way that really work for me and not feel like I'm doing them wrong. Don't you think, Jason? I know you've had your own experiences with this too. I think it's challenging the narratives and belief systems and programs that are in us. I really think that's what this is all about is is mm. as we grow our awareness and discover more layers, really resonant layers of who we are as beings, more layers of our beingness. I think it's a natural conclusion that as we siphon off what is not us or conditioned programs, ways of behavior, ways of dressing, trying to please people, appease people. As that shedding occurs, as the layers continue to get sloughed off like an onion, that's the thing we always hear with meditation is peeling back the layers of the onion of self-awareness. But I think the closer we get to the core of who we are, even as evolving, changing beings, I, I think there's still a core essence of who we are that identifying those programs and ways of being and behavioral uh, coping mechanisms that we've been subjected to, we get the choice of whether or not we want to continue using those things or we want to let those things go as our awareness and sense of self grows. And I think a big part of what we're talking about as entrepreneurs and sort of maybe this puritanical work ethic or that if we look at the religious implications that whoever toils the most will win God's favor. Hmm. Like I think subconsciously that is still deeply rooted and embedded in people's consciousness and the way that they operate in the world that if you grind the hardest, you bleed the most for it, you have the most breakdowns and the most dark nights of the soul, you know, you prove to God and the universe and the all that is that you are worthy of the blessings. And that's a deep one because I grew up in a, a Roman Catholic family with an aspect of that mentality. I grew up in a blue collar family in Detroit and it was like, you bust your fucking ass for what you want. And it was like, well, Actually, you know what I've also observed over the course of my life is that sometimes if I don't strain myself out of desperation and feeling like I have to win God's favor by working the hardest, that good things actually find me when I'm not doing that too. Mm -hmm. It also reminds me of this mentality around like the universe, like, well, if you're not making money, you just don't want it badly enough and you must have a block to it. And, And I think there's some truth to a lot of these things, but it's not this easy as like asking the universe for money. It's like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Uh, Jason, you've talked about before, like if it was about how hard you worked, like I think you said your grandfather would have been a millionaire, right? Wasn't that? That's exactly what I said. Like, yeah, my grandpa Walter had that straight up old school Roman Catholic puritanical work ethic combined with the blue collar working on the line. And he worked in a Chrysler factory like that dude Mm -hmm. busted his ass. If that's all it was. And a lot of these, you know, whatever we want to call them, thought leaders, business coaches, like it's hard work, hard work, hard work, hard work. I'm like, there's, that can't be the only thing. That's all you're saying. But if that was true, then yeah, my grandpa would have been an extremely wealthy man because he worked his ass off. So you're leaving stuff out of the equation and I don't quite buy what you're saying because it's too simplistic and too pedantic. If you're just mantra, mantra, hard work, hard work. I've started tuning those people out because the energy of it doesn't resonate with me. And it's also coming back to the idea of privilege, like the privilege of being educated, the privilege of the color of your skin or your gender and where you live. And there's so many factors that go into our abilities to make money. So it's also 
yeah, just a position of white privilege to say some of those things. And and a lot of the people that are saying those things are white males. So, but even I see a lot of white women saying that that's a very, like a lot of posts I I get advertised on, on social media are like, I made X amount of money. And so can you, if you just follow this formula and then you look in the formula and it's a lot of these things that we just said that I've tried and they haven't worked for me. And maybe that's because those are not resonating with me and my tendencies and my personality traits and my way of wanting to do things. Yeah. And I think a lot of things they're leaving out are like proximity to power and nepotism and all these things that actually sometimes are the things that get people there um, in those instances. But also, I, I'm going to blow your mind right now, Jason. I also have a grandpa welter, which is just another thing we have in common. What is happening? <laughs> I know. What is going on right you, now? You guys were like destined to be best friends. Oh and I'm really God. jealous. This so is weird. crazy. What the hell is happening? <laughs> so weird. So weird. But I have to just like agree with all that and also say when I jumped out of the nine to five of of nonprofit work, because I've never worked for a for, for profit full time. And I think nonprofit is like, oh, extra on the like hustle because you're wearing so many hats and you're always just stretched so thin. But then I got into the entrepreneur space and I was like, oh, wow, this is also super like hustle culture and extroverted. And I'm like, I'm not feeling like I fit in here like either. And that that was really interesting to want to start this thing because I was seeing that it wasn't really much different than the office life. It was just a different kind of, you know, energy drain and a different kind of hustle culture. And absolutely. And it's also not that different from like high school too. you know, like the clicks and like the popularity contests. You see this a lot happening on social media with like the popular influencers and all of that. It like, you know, it reminds me of being in an office or being in school and like those dynamics that are at play. Definitely. And also who said that making like being paid well for what you do always had to be like, completely like draining and breaking your mind and body. Like I had to like accept that sometimes things are easy for me. And that doesn't mean I need to be like copywriting, for example, it doesn't always take me that long. And and that doesn't mean I don't need to be compensated for the years of work that I put in to not have that take me a very long time or that all the, my, my mind wasn't completely drained for making those thousands of dollars. Like, I feel like that's something too, where it's like, that worthiness is something that is a structure within us that depending on our upbringing and our race and our gender and so many things in our background could be a really heavy block and something that's really hard in the entrepreneurial space to be able to be like pricing your own services, packages, products. But I think there's that notion that like you need to be hustling to actually make money. But it's like, no, if you've spent all this time working on your craft, you know, you can find a way where you are making money because you have spent so much time and you're so great at it now. And then you could also have like another way to work with you. So you're not feeling like you're just charging people thousands of dollars and are not accessible to other people too. And I love seeing those models out in the entrepreneurial space now where there's like a lot more membership and a lot more memberships and a lot more things that are accessible. So you don't have to be like, you know, I'll never be able to afford her five, $10,000 offer. So I'll never be able to work with her. But now there are other ways to do that. And um, that's like really cool and encouraging to me. Oh, gosh. So there's so much that we can chat about. And I feel like we should just end this recording and then I should go. But you and Jason should just like talk for a couple more hours about That's all right. the things you have in common. That's right. <laughs> yes. got- I love that. <laughs>
<laughs> we got to talk about the NBA season restarting, COVID, talk Black it. Lives Matter, or who's going to sit out, who's going to play. I mean, yeah, this could, the rabbit hole has no end. No end. And what if like your grandfathers were friends with each other <laughs> or like there's some sort of tie there? I mean, oh I God. love this. Copyright. You know, it kind of reminds me. Oh, it reminds me, Jason, of when we did the episode with Dotsie and she and I found out we had a lot in common, too. And it's kind of the fun of of doing these episodes as we get to bond with people and have these deep conversations. And then who knows, like, what if our listeners are finding out they have all these things in common with you, Monica? Like, you, you, right? you never know. You never know. <laughs> and I just have to say, too, Whitney, that I've when I've done some like Mellow Marketing Monday episodes about networking and how introverts can do it and how we make such amazing connections over time because we're so into that genuine connection and actually knowing things about people. I have used you as an example once because we had met so long ago, like on Twitter. And then I think when I, you know, was working with tree people and then the women, yes. yeah, like the um, women of the green generation, all these things. And then when, when I had bare bones, I was just, you know, supported by people like you and Sunny and people that I had made those connections with that at the time, I had no ulterior motive or no like transactional situation or that I was looking for. But then it just kind of like organically came around that people wanted to support me because we had made a connection before. And I feel like this has come full circle with this podcast episode and just like always nurturing those connections and how great introverts are at making that genuine connection and listening and really staying connected, even though we don't talk so much, but knowing that there was a connection there. So it was just, it's just a super cool thing. It is really cool. And I agree that I feel like I shouldn't generalize this, but I, I know Jason and I experience this and I'm, I'm sure you do at times too, Monica, where, where through social media, it can feel very transactional. It's like, hey, what can you give me? How can you help me? And then here's how I can help you. And then it, it's like the surface level thing. Yeah. And going back to what Jason was saying about copywriting and and finding companies that he truly feels connected to, because a lot of times what we do for money, we want it to feel meaningful. We want to feel like, I think ultimately, most of us want to make a difference in the world, yeah. but we live in a transactional culture where it's all about like what we can do for somebody else. And going back to networking, I think that's probably why I feel uncomfortable in networking situations, depending on the context. Sometimes I thrive in them, but a lot of times I don't want to have a transactional conversation. As Jason was saying, I don't want someone to be like, looking at my badge <laughs> to decide if I'm worthy. I don't want someone to look at my social media numbers and determine like how much I'm worth them paying or if they should even bother talking to me. I hate those transactional uh -huh. situations. And thank you for using that as a, or bringing this up as a reminder, Monica, that it is about those deeper connections and having a 10 year history with somebody and watching them evolve is such a blessing. And I'm so grateful that you talked about these things. We covered a lot of ground. We went deep in ways I wasn't expecting. And and now I get to see a new friendship blossom between you and Jason. And J Jason's <laughs> going to start his new company, pimping out extroverts to introverts or vice versa. It's really exciting times. <laughs> a lot of opportunity coming out of this podcast. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So one more business idea, and then we're going to let it go because we've been going almost two hours. Here it is starting in the Pacific Northwest, a totally inclusive basketball league that, league that is welcome of 
all genders, sexualities, religions, colors. It's like the most inclusive rec league ever. And then we also have eco-friendly local goods for sale, every, like a weekly game. And then we have the vegan food trucks pull up and it's like rainbow party palace on a basketball court. That is a dream come true. And I think we have to make it happen. <laughs> I imagined that and thought that would and bring DJs in and bring bands. And it's just like a basketball food life party where all are welcome. I don't know. I just flashed on it. Let's do this. Do you know how well that would do in Portland? That would be so well received here. I feel like if we were to start like that kind of rec league, like I, we'd have to have like a, a great name. I mean, we're both in Mark. We can do this. We can find a name, but that would crush. Yes. Crush. I want to start a basketball league with you. <laughs> Dude, let's find a name. I'll buy some domains, some URLs. <laughs> let's get Oh man, that would be so sick. Oh, so I sick. Love Funny if I just did an Irish goodbye and like signed off and you guys were just here like talking to each other. And then suddenly you're like, where'd Whitney go? <laughs> oh, good. This was good. This was good. Monica, you're an absolute delight. It was it was just so wonderful to get to know you. And I will be DMing you about all things Pacific Northwest. Yes, please. I thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I didn't know where it would go, but that's such the amazing part of this kind of format of just being able to have a conversation. So, so glad we got to talk about so many things. And now I have, I'm so glad I, I know both of you so much better now and I have a new <laughs> basketball loving Pacific Northwest copywriting friend. <laughs> oh, so good. So with that, my beautiful friends, listeners, supporters, we appreciate you being here for another episode of This Might Get Uncomfortable. For all of the links to Monica's amazing work that she is doing in the world, if you happen to be an introvert or a socially conscious entrepreneur, someone who's interested in her copywriting and marketing services, we will have all of her links and uh, ways to contact her in the show notes at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. We're also on all the social media platforms, on the biggies like Facebook and the Twitter and the Pinterest and Instagram. Uh, we also have a TikTok account. I need to be more active there. Whitney keeps pushing me. I'm probably going to get there shortly because the demand is so high for my extroverted services on TikTok. I got to get there. So with that, my beautiful friends, dip into all of the great resources we have for you to awaken and activate your talents and your heart in this planet. We are here for you. We appreciate you. And we will be back again with another episode of This Might Get Uncomfortable. Bye. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to Wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.